What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh, what's shaking, my little shaking bacons? Yes, this is Brian McWilliams back in the saddle. I was out of town for a couple days thinking, though not interacting with liberty, but reading up, thinking about it. To prepare myself for this show, which of course is Electric Liberty Land episode number 62. Now, I was in Florida, where my family has moved to. As you guys all know, I'm from Philadelphia. So I uh, I managed to get my yingling fix in there. You hear me talk about that delicious, delightful beer all the time on the show. And I, I do, it's like an IV into my veins whenever I can get any sort of drop of this liquid, which is unavailable to me on the West Coast. But... I'll tell you this. I, you know, I fly back late last night, so I'm I'm beat. I'm going to see how long this episode goes. No, uh, no promises. But I fly back last night, and is it just me, or is it just you? Just know when this is going to happen. You land, the flights get in a little bit late. I'm sitting there, I'm riding in the uh, the taxi cab to about two miles away. I parked at my friend's house. He's watching my dog, my little dog Chloe, who you can hear randomly barking in the background <laughs> during several episodes. Or shrieking howl, but watching my little dog Chloe, he's a sweetheart. And of course, I parked my car at house. So we're getting in the taxi. The taxi guys give me the goddamn stink eye because he doesn't want to just go two miles. Like the guy's literally being the biggest dick. And I'm like, look, Bran, don't blame me. Blame your fucking taxi union for making sure that I can't get an Uber from the airport. How about you blame that, dude? Don't get upset to me because I don't want to walk two miles. And you happen to be the guy at the front of the taxi when I step up. So, you know, stuff your salaries in a sack. Then stick the sack up your ass. So anyway, Sour Puss uh, McTaxi Pants here takes me through, drops me and my wife off at the car. I had a sixth sense. You know, the hairs on the back of my neck started standing up as I'm walking to my car. And I'm thinking to myself, I know this son of a bitch isn't going to start. I just know it. Now, I replaced the battery on this car. I have a Hyundai Sonata and uh, like a 2013. So it's getting a little older. Almost paid off, though, which is fantastic. I want that money in my pocket. So I'm walking to the car. And, you know, it starts up. Or it clicks. It opens. It blinks. So I'm like, okay, that's good. I get in. And then as soon as I try to turn it on, all the buttons are going wild. Like, it's haunted. It's like Poltergeist. Craig T. Nelson's coming over the speaker. He's like, you didn't move the bodies from onto the car. Carolyn. Long story short, goddamn thing won't start. So I'm trying every trick in the book. You know, I'm thinking, is this a key issue? Whatever. No, just a battery. So I got an Uber home. Get my wife's car. Uber back. Jump the son of a bitch. Take my dog home. She has to go pick up our other crazy dog. It was a daycare, having a wonderful time. Straight A's on his report card. So anyway, I'm tired. But I swear, swear to God, I knew it was going to be dead the moment I got out of the car. The moment I got out of scumbag taxi driver's taxi, walking to my car, I knew for a fact I was going to get screwed. And screwed I got. Ah, So I'm a little tired. But I want to talk about the Oscars. 
And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, you know, unlike these school shootings, which keep happening like on Wednesday morning, so I can't really talk about them in a timely manner. The Oscars, I think, is a perfect lead time. We can now reflect, look back, talk about it. And so I want to uh, I want to discuss my and my feelings about this year's Oscars, which you might have noticed from the title of this episode. I thought were very lame and very tame. And you know what? It's one of those things we're going in. I saw Jimmy Kimmel was hosting again. And I said to myself, Brian, this is going to suck. Not because I hate Jimmy Kimmel necessarily. I liked him on the man show. I hate him now in his uh, iteration of uh, weeping, <laughs> weeping social justice warrior douchebag, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. But I don't hate him Overall, and the fact that he still says, you know, tight friends with Adam Carolla brings him in to write jokes for the Oscars, which I guess they didn't use any of because the jokes were terrible, terrible during this Oscars broadcast. But that makes you think, all right, whatever. He's a little misguided in his, in his uh, politics, but fine. At least he's a good guy. So going into it, I, I thought, though, there would be more. And in truth, they said going in, they go, well, we're going to we're going to cut back on the politics. We're going to focus on the films. Now, they cut back on the politics somewhat, but there were still political jokes in there. They just weren't funny. And it's one of those things where you go, you know, I, I'd rather I'd rather have been watching and have been really rolling my eyes and, like, and raging about these liberal dickheads being liberal dickheads, like over the top. But that's not what happened. It was like these little lame jabs where you just kind of sigh. It kind of drags. Uh, the show just comes to a dead stop. Because it's flowing and then it just dies and flows and dies. Every time they make one of these lame-ass, tame, little pussy willow, you know, it's like walking through the field like, like you're a gladiator. Except instead of walking through the, the wheat fields, you're just getting smacked in the face with pussy willows. <laughs> Velvety pussy willows. That's what this was. I mean, not to say it was insanely boring. Let's, let's be upfront with that. It always is. But at least other Oscars were punctuated with moments where you go, oh, my God, I can't believe he just said that. What a dick. This, not so much. There were a couple, which I'm going to highlight. But overall, didn't it seem to those of you who watched and, and, and side tangent, which just get ready for a lot of side tangents, side tangent. I would not have been watching this anyway. I don't like to watch the Oscars because I find them to be excruciatingly dull. I can't stand the politics, etc. And I have never, and you know, the movies they nominate are never movies that anybody gives a flying fuck about. Phantom Thread? Who fucking gives a shit about that character? Who, it's Daniel Day-Lewis is in it. That's the only reason it was nominated for anything. Boring piece of dump that no one would ever go to see without being provided a screener for it. And, and it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, three billboards, I guess some people saw. I, I saw Shape of Water after the fact, the one that won. Eh, it was pretty good. I liked it. Saw Get Out, which would have never been nominated if it was not purely focused on uh, the racial issues, you know, et cetera. You can go on and on. It's never movies that people actually see. So I don't watch, but I'm in Florida. My sister and her boyfriend want to watch. We have watch it with my dad, who also kind of like half watches. My mom wa starts watching and then goes to bed. <laughs> Shit doesn't give a shit. And so I'm kind of trapped watching this show because I don't want to be rude and, uh, and ditch my family out. It's my dad's 70th birthday. So we're watching. But <laughs> the, the overall crowd, and I was very surprised by this, the overall crowd seemed like they were over the political campaigning. They were over being over the top liberal assholes because 
even the jokes that were made at the expense of, of Republicans and, and Trump, which were, there were a, there were a few, didn't get big laughs. And later on, uh, and I'm going to pull up these examples, you'll hear the dead thud of these these references and these jokes, which I'm sure these people thought were slam dunks. You know, they're back. They're like, oh, this is going to kill in this room, in this crowd. I can't miss, baby. Well, turns out you can miss. Which I which I hope to God is the truth. I hope the I hope people are finally getting to the point where they're just like, you know what, enough's enough. How much contempt, how much outrage can we have? You know, we don't have anything left in the tank. Let's just move on as a society and stop just making this about identity, making this about left versus right, taking shots and not actually looking at the root cause of any of these issues. So that being said, let me uh, let me go through a little bit of the Oscar broadcast and some of the notes I have and talk through them. And then I'm going to pull a few, just a couple quick audio clips that I thought were <laughs> especially uh, funny. So, of course, at the top of the show, you got Jimmy Kimmel doing this kind of lame old-time radio sketch, whatever. Talks a little bit about Harvey Weinstein, how about, you know, all men are bad, how the Oscar statue is the perfect man because it's limited in what he can do and it doesn't have a dick. How very, how very progressive that is, you know, just uh, every no a dickless society, no dicks for anybody. So that's that was kind of the way it started off. He made a little reference to Hope Hicks not being in the White House anymore. There's no hope in the White House, which is again an eye roller. And, and side note about Hope Hicks leaving. I was reading this. Actually, I was at the gym and uh, CNN had this story on about Hope Hicks, and they're saying like, oh, she told white lies. And they're making it out as this, as if this is something original, you know, like, like Donald Trump comes into office and he's the only guy that happens to lie about anything he's doing. And that she's the only press secretary, just like with Sean Spicer, like oh, Sean Spicer is the only guy to ever lie for the president. Are you kidding me? These people lie all the time. They lie to get into office. They lie when they're into office. They're going to continue to lie. Anybody that doesn't just admit that openly that we are constantly being lied to. I mean, what, why do you think they classify documents <laughs> and, and then lie to us about what they're actually doing? I mean, give me a break, man. It's just it's it is the height of stupidity. It's the height of this partisan politics. Like, if you want a, a clear example of media bias, it's people trying to make a big deal out of a press secretary leaving and admitting that she told little white lies about the president. I mean, get the fuck out of here. All right, so anyway, that was they did a little joke about uh, Hope Hicks. And then, of course, they do a joke about this gay movie, Call Me By Your Name, which, again, I doubt many people saw out of a very small group of people that are seeking out a movie about an older man essentially practicing pedophilia with a younger gay boy. And, you know, I voiced my opinion on this before in the show. Um, you know, I, I consider the, the issue very nuanced. And libertarians obviously are constantly getting in trouble for arguing about when is a, uh, you know, when you can actually give consent, when the age of consent should be, and if that's a, a pliable figure, a malleable figure, which I, I mean, it should be. However, within the gay community itself, and this is what uh, Milo Yiannopoulos had gotten in trouble for, but there is a culture wherein younger gay men do, in fact, uh, oftentimes go with older gay men. And it's not, I mean, look, I don't know. I presuming that it's not to do much with pedophilia 99% of the time, um, just like with straight people that happen to mentor other people. But, you know, it's like they get into a sexual relationship when these kids are 15, 16 years old, perhaps. 
And it is more of a mentoring type of thing. Uh, these kids are ostracized from their community they know and have grown up in. They're looking for something to turn to. It's kind of like a <laughs> an apprenticeship in, uh, you know, having gay sex, I suppose. But they introduced you to the community, and now you have these this friendship in this community. And if someone were to go up to you and say, hey, if you're going to be ostracized from everything you've known, and you can be accepted into this new community which in which you uh, will be part of an active participant. You'll make new friends. You'll have career opportunities, etc. However, you might have to suck an old man's balls for a little bit. I, you know what? Sure. Sign me up. Sign me up, man. So it's an issue that's, that, that is a lot of gray areas to it. That being said, I don't think a lot of people other than the gay community are going to seek this movie out. <laughs> so, the joke that was made about it was that, like, why do we make these movies? And it's just, and he goes, oh, to anger Mike Pence. Ha, 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 ha. You get it? Because, you know, because Mike Pence doesn't like the gays. Hilarious, hilarious. So it kind of went on like that. There weren't really any great zingers. There were a couple little chuckles I had in there. You know, there's a joke about Christopher Plummer, who's very old, being uh, the, the youngest actor at one point to get a nomination. And now he's the oldest actor to ever get a nomination. It's kind of like that. And uh, they brought up Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph at one point during the Oscar broadcast. And Tiffany Haddish, of course, is a former foster youth. Maya Rudolph is up there wearing some sort of guard cloak from the star wars movies like you know the red guards that's what she looked like it was like she it was like you know what she looked like she looked like (laughs) she looked like the kool-aid man (laughs) had kicked in the door and right in the middle going oh yeah suddenly got that surgery where they put a stomach staple on you like she looked like al roker as the kool-aid man because she was like this weird deflated ball of red and i i mean i i maybe she had a baby I don't know. All I know is it was ridiculous. She's like a half deflated girl from the Willy Wonka movie where she ate, instead of eating a blueberry, she ate a tomato or a strawberry and she's kind of half there, half a ball. It was just ridiculous. So they had this incredibly unfunny, just, I mean, I hard to puzzle through. I was trying to puzzle out if they had writers write for them or if they put this piece of shit together themselves, but just incredibly unfunny monologue wherein they make little jokes back and forth, and then they announce that they're dreamers. They're all dreamers. You know, and it, clearly, this is a dis- direct shot at Trump, a direct, direct shot at what he's doing with the uh, the DACA. And <laughs> they get basically zero applause, zero buy-in for this, and it just dies. I mean, blatant. If you can't get applause for that, you can't get applause for anything from this room. But like I said, they seem to be checked out. So that takes us to this next statement. So Eugenio Derbez, uh, who's a uh, Hispanic actor, Mexican actor, he was in uh, How to Be a Latin Lover earlier in the year. He gets up there, and uh, let me just let me just play it for you. Let me just play it for you, and you'll see. This is an introduction to one of the worst songs I've ever heard, called "Remember Me" from Coco. It's a movie I have not seen, not yet anyway, and uh, one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my entire life. And, of course, what an Oscar. Because it's not about the music, people. It's about making a political statement, as we all know. So let me just play this for you. I'm going to play you Eugenio Derbez's little little intro. And then I'm going to play you uh, a little bit of the song. Because you're going to hear <laughs> Gael Garcia Bernal sing <laughs> the, the worst rendition of any musical attempt ever, ever attempted. In the movie... This song pulls a 12-year-old Mexican boy 
from the land of the living across the border to the land of the dead, all for the love of his family. Because, you know, in the afterworld, there are no walls. Anyway. Anyway. Wow. I mean, have you ever seen somebody just completely die? He's on stage alone, by the way, doing this. On stage alone, in front of a room full of sycophants, a room full of people that agree with him almost unanimously and cannot get even one clap. (laughs) Anyway, here's what he was introducing, which is uh, somehow worse, but also somehow better. So if you didn't watch the broadcast, you didn't appreciate that the guitarist was actually laughing at uh, Gail Garcia Bernal during that epic, epic performance of tone deafness. And then it kicks into the remainder of the song, which is like by this artist, Miguel, and uh, is basically just, like I said earlier, the shittiest song, just the shittiest most boring, stupid song, just like that fucking Like a River song that people were all uh, spanking themselves over that uh, Mary J. Blige sang. Again, boring, terrible song. But this Remember Me song won. It won for best song. And it literally sounds like, listen to this song. Just go on your own time and find it because I don't have time to do it. Not with you. I don't want to waste your time. You can do it on your own volition. But this song sounds like Basically, a song that they would be playing were it at a Mexican beauty pageant. Like, that is it. Like, where's Charo? Get Charo up there hosting. Like, that's what, we, that's what should be in the song. It's just the lamest, shittiest song. And it won a goddamn Oscar because people were like, you know what? We love Mexicans. So, yeah, we'll give this Mexican song something. I mean, it won Best Animated Feature, but, you know, that's all. We all know that second, second rung kind of stuff. Then Kimmel, after this this crap happens, they do this Me Too, uh, this Me Too thing. Mira Savino's up there with another gal. You know, these women that came out against Weinstein. Now, <laughs> this is where I got in a fight with my sister watching this. Because she comes out and saying, that, oh, they're, they're heroes. Blah, blah, and I'm sitting there laughing because I just feel like it's such disingenuous garbage. These women who did nothing, nothing for 30 years. While this guy fucked and molested and had people watch him in the shower and raped girls. But let that happen while they were working. Now, oh, now your career is completely in the shitter mirror, Savino. Well, yes, take your stand, girl. Get up there. Good job. Me Too movement. 
Go for it. So this whole thing, they're very somber. Everybody's oh, 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 clapping for them. Like, oh, God, what heroes? So I had to correct my sister, tell her that these people were not heroes, that these, in fact, these women were cowards that had used the system, that had been used by Harvey Weinstein and used him in exchange, and also basically got ahead on the backs of all the women who did not happen to get as lucky as they did, but still went through the horrors that Harvey Weinstein inflicted on him, along with all the other Hollywood producers. For 30 years. So... You know, that was fun. <laughs> but they do this whole YouTube or Me Too thing. And then they do this whole stupid video when they have the, you know, Kumail Nanjani and a bunch of other people talking about diversity in Hollywood and blah, 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 blah. Kumail, I thought, was ironic because he, you know, people were saying this was the moment of the video because Kumail said that, you know, he's been watching and learning from white men in movies for years, and now people can do that for him. Which, you know, I mean, when you happen to be a Pakistani immigrant coming to America, and uh, you might want to acculturate yourself and learn the language. Well, actually, in Pakistan, they speak English anyway, uh, in addition to other languages. But if you're trying to learn the culture, uh, yeah, yeah, you might want to learn some things from the white guys you see in movies, man, because that's part of your move to America. <laughs> it might give you a leg up. So I don't see why that's some great point. And yeah, learn about your culture. We've been doing that for years too, man. There's a reason we have international films in the Oscars. There's a reason why people watch international films that have subtitles. Yeah, it's called a free market. It's called the free market exchange of ideas. What I don't like is Hollywood bullshit where they tell people like me who happen to be white Irish guy. You know what? A lot of white Irish guys happen to be funny, happen to be good writers. I don't know. Genetics, dude. But Good luck to me now trying to get a writing gig because there are zero incentives for people to hire white Irish writers now. <laughs> zero. Every diversity workshop, every uh, writer's uh, outreach program, every special submission uh, thing that goes on these days, if you are white and you are a man, you need not apply. And that is plain and simple the way it is. So that is not diversity. That is exclusionary in order to push forward a social agenda. So, you know, go fuck yourself, Kamel, and Hollywood as a whole could go fuck itself for this initiative. You know, just because you want to open up the horizons and make yourselves feel better about what you're doing doesn't mean you have to cut off all the other arms of the uh, the Kraken that is network entertainment or the entertainment industry. Just is so, so frustrating. I mean, Grant, I'll give you a little bit of an insider's perspective on there, but it is just maddening. But then... The best part of the night, the best, uh, most uh, completely unaware, ironic, just lock yourself in a dark closet and punch yourself in the face because you think someone's attacking you moment that the Oscars had was that they gave accused rapist. Again, and this is a show they take, they, they stopped the show dead, dead in its tracks to do this Me Too moment. And then they bring accused rapist Kobe Bryant up on stage to get his Oscar. <laughs> Kobe Bean Bryant. The Bean, of course, stands for rape? Question mark. Bean there, done that. Because you'll remember Kobe Bryant settled his rape suit. And I will acknowledge there are some questionable things. The woman did have several loads in her underpants that was revealed. But still, who's to say if Kobe's load was a permitted load or not? <laughs> uh, to put it in the most simple terms. But Kobe Bryant did not win the trial, did not prove his innocence. He simply paid her off. So let's have a giant Me Too moment. And then in the biggest sign of Hollywood homerism 
ever ever presented. Let's let's give Kobe Bryant an award for his stupid fucking short film about being a basketball player. Ha! Huh. Breakthrough. Holy bejeebus. What a breakthrough film. Pure garbage. Just just uh, amazing amazing fuckery. I'm cursing a lot this episode. I pause. You know what? When I get tired, as I am very tired, uh, the uh, the f bombs fly, man. And this, you know, and I'm angry. <laughs> I'm a tired, angry man. All right, just to wrap this up, then I'm gonna move on to some other stuff, uh, and I'll keep that on the shorter side too. Though, again, like I said, I always say I'm gonna do it short, and then I get all all fired up, pissed off, and then I go ranting on for another forty minutes. But Frances McDormand, who is, I think, insane. I mean, holy shit, is she insane. Number one, incredibly unattractive. <laughs> but, but also completely insane. So Frances McDormand won for her role in Three Billboards, which uh, you know may have been up for a, a, the best picture, but lost, people were saying, because people as a whole were unhappy about Hollywood's mm, tweaking of the subject matter, I guess. Sam Rockwell's character, who had won for Best Supporting Actor, Sam Rockwell's character... He had, or maybe best actor. I can't remember. So he had played a cop that was racist, but the cop is a turnabout and he grows as a character, which you always want in screenplays, you know, good screenplay. You want character growth. But of course, if it's based on a true story, <laughs> you don't want that character to grow too much or else it ain't true no more. So he must have grown a little too much and became not so racist. And people were upset about that. So they say. Anyway, Frances McDormick wins. She gets up on stage. Uh, just looking, looking like some sort of nightmare creature come to life, and uh, but she made all the nominees to create up there, and she's cackling and screaming, and I, 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 I shit, you know, I'm cackling and screaming like a banshee. Just got there, she's like, ah, everybody, what are you like everybody stand up, women, all the women stand up, stand up, raging on. So the women stand up. <laughs> and there's a great scene, and they do it slowly too. They're not standing up and cheering. <laughs> They're not like. They're not like mass jumping out of their seats with their hands in the air because they're so happy she's doing this. There's this great shot that this one woman nominee is standing up. And I didn't recognize her. She must have been on the technical side or editing or something like that uh, or cinematography. She stands up and she has this look on her face. She's looking around the room. And the look is not like wide-eyed. Oh, this is so great. Isn't everybody happy this is happening? No, the look is very clearly, what the fuck do we have to really stand up for this dumb shit? And she's like, am I the only one that's going to stand for this stupid crap right now? And she's just looking back and forth. And the look at her face is, no, there's no smiles. It looks like grumpy cat. Like she's just standing up, like begrudgingly against her will. Like, uh, like at the end of a bad play that a friend of yours is in, if you ever gone to that, maybe you haven't because you don't live in LA where everybody has terrible fucking plays that you go see to be a good person or stupid improv shows or stupid comedy shows like mine, but at least the stupid comedy shows, you're going to laugh. But, but just like, it's like that where people just, you know, everybody stands up to applaud, to make the person feel good. And you know, it sucked dick, but you still got to stand up and you're just like, uh, that was everybody in the room. Everybody went, uh, and then got up like, uh, yeah. and then Francis McDormand continued to cackle. Uh, just insane, insane person. Oh, one last thing in this exceptionally boring show. I did want to point out if you were watching, there was a guy who came on stage, I think for one of the technical awards, sound editing or something. This dude was wearing dark sunglasses 
he had his he was missing his his jacket sleeves were like cut off at the elbow it looked ridiculous like he had literally like they were made of cocaine and he couldn't wait and he was just snorting he was snorting his sleeves off which is a genius move if you're him if you're him call me if you hear this call me because i got some suits i want you to tailor that dude was awesome so boom there you go that's my little recap so predictably the oscars ratings went down another 20 percent this year i think people knew going in it was going to be a little bit of a political shit fit and uh they tuned out now that's not all about content. If we're being completely candid, again, you know, a little bit of a little bit of insider background knowledge here, but the, a lot of that also has to do with people just getting rid of cable. And if the Oscars is broadcast on ABC, you either have to have a Hulu or a or an ABC Go or something that you can stream it live. YouTube, of course, you might have an arrangement with them, but a lot of people are disconnecting. A lot of people just aren't watching it. They'll watch the highlights, like me. But like me as well, a lot of people just aren't going to sit through the bullshit that they know is the Oscars in this day and age. There you go. Bingo, bingo, boingo. All right. We'll be right back with a little bit more, guys. And I will see you on the other side of a fantastic new commercial. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, non-violent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter and join me today. Find out more at DaleKearns.com. Paid for by Dale Kearns for Office. There you go, guys. Dale Kearns. So check him out if you are eligible in the PA area. So coming back into the Electric Liberty Land. Again, this is episode... episode. This is episode 62, which means you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL62. Get all the show notes for today's program. So quick hitters, tariffs and Trump. I already talked about steel industry a little bit in the last show, so I'm not going to go into that anymore, or I guess two shows ago. You know I'm against tariffs. It's a terrible idea. They've never, ever had any economic foundation that makes any sense at all. It's already tanking things in the economy, and it <laughs> I don't know. It's not going to get better. And I... I'm seeing a lot of pushback, so I'm hoping that's going to rein Trump in in some way. But Trump did also say something which I'm not going to go too deep on because what else is there to say on it that hasn't been said or what really needs to be said about Trump's statement that he would rather get the guns and then go through due process in regards to gun control. <laughs> which brings up an interesting conundrum for our friends on the left who, of course, decry authoritarianism but also hate guns. So what are they going to do? Who are they going to back? Are they going to back the most authoritarian thing, the most fascist move that Trump could possibly pull by attempting to take away people's guns without having any due process? Or will they defend due process to go against Trump 
but knowing that that might keep people's guns in their houses. Mm. Maybe this is why people were so, so, uh, just calm at the Oscars. Maybe they've had, like I said, it, maybe they've had enough. Maybe they've come to too many of these crossroads wherein they can't quite find an intellectual way to solve the puzzle in front of them. So they've just simply decided to sit on their hands, close their mouths, and observe. Which, you know, really is, <laughs> for those of us who are active in the political space and do know what the fuck we're talking about, probably the best thing that could happen. However, Trump did say this, nothing's going to come of it. I said this before, the, uh, apart from a civil war, your gun rights are fine, because there's no way people are going to take them from you. The only thing is people should go out and buy the weapons that are out there that might be threatened in the near term. If you want one, I would say to get it now. Uh, we had a, a uh, we had a sponsorship with Martin Armory previously. I wonder if we can reach out to them and see if they still have a deal for our listeners. But uh, yeah, get your guns, guys. <laughs> get them now. Get them while they're hot. So that's enough uh, on, on Trump on that regard. So some of the other things I want to move on to, though, on this show are talking about this bipartisan bill that's been put forth by none other than my man Rand. Hashtag Randy Pants. Rand Paul. Mike Lee, Chris Murphy, and Bernie Sanders, the Sandman himself, they put forth a bill which is looking to end the Yemen war, the war by proxy, which the U.S. is supporting by air power, by supply lines, by naval blockades, essentially helping to assure that people in Yemen die by the thousands in what has become a genocide. Well, our bipartisan boys are looking to rein that in essentially pointing out that there has never been an authorization to use military force in Yemen. Now, you remember the authorization of military force, or the AUIF, or wait, wait, authorization, use of military force, AUMF, not AUI, AEIOU, sometimes Y, AUMF has never been used in Yemen or has never been approved for use in Yemen. But that Little AUMF is what keeps fucking us over in all these other countries, which continues to permit presidents to put soldiers where they do not belong without congressional approval. So this bill is looking to curb that. Now, will it pass? Will it even have a shot? Mm, Doubtful. I would say that considering the way people have voted in the past, I would find it highly, highly questionable that they would ever go for this in the future, especially since similar bills have been put forth by people like Rand Paul before, which essentially say that Congress is the only body that is allowed to state that we are going to war, is the only uh, body that is permitted to authorize military force in any way, shape, or form. So if they didn't vote before, they're not going to do it now. Uh, but you got to bring it up because God damn it, man, he's, he, he's trying. Maybe they can drum up enough. Maybe now the left's so exhausted that they'll fall back and fall back into their fainting couches and see a pamphlet on the floor from way back when, when they actually used to be anti-war and they'll start supporting this. And maybe the Republicans, while they're lighting up a cigar, maybe they'll be using a piece of paper that says fiscal responsibility on it. And while they're late in that cigar, they'll say, you know what? God damn, these wars are really costing us a lot of money. And, you know, I know we just authorized that big new budget, but uh, we're not really cutting spending. We're not cutting the budget down. Shit, you know, we're going to get ousted as soon as these midterm elections come through. So maybe they'll find a common ground and have a shot. I just talked myself into it. There we go, guys. I talked it into being. It's going to happen. We're going we're gonna to win this thing. <laughs> so that's something to keep track of. 
Something else that was exceptionally interesting to find out. This is a little uh, a little little tidbit from Zero Hedge, our friends over at Zero Hedge. But the Tor project, if you'll remember the Tor project, right? Everybody was all about Tor. It was a private browser, a, a, the NSA-proof gateway to the dark web. Well, guess what? Turns out, 100% funded by U.S. government. <laughs> 100%, virtually 100%. They do have, they are quote-unquote private, but they were founded by the CIA. Yes, the CIA spinoff known as the Broadcasting Board of Governors, or the BBG, which oversees America's foreign broadcasting operations like Radio Free Asia and Radio Free Europe. They actually are the founders behind this or the funders behind it. Now, there is a slight firewall between the two because they operate independently from the government. But considering the fact that they're developing a private browser that's NSA-proof and they're still working for the government, 99% funded by the government, well, that basically means that they are completely complicit in the government and everything it's doing. So this is from the uh, a report that Zero Hedge is in here. By following the money, I discovered that Tor was not a grassroots. I was able to show that despite its indie radical cred and claims to help its users protect themselves from government surveillance online, Tor was almost 100% funded by three U.S. national security agencies, the Navy, the State Department, and the BBG. Following the money revealed that Tor was not a grassroots outfit, but a military contractor with its own government contractor number. In other words, it was a privatized extension of the very same government that it claimed to be fighting. <laughs> uh, conclusively shows that Tor is not independent at all. And also, it's also required to file detailed monthly status reports that gave the U.S. government a clear picture of what Tor employees were developing, where they went, and who they saw. This is from Yasha Levine, who had done this research. So this is all revealed through FOIA documents and really Tor's ability, and they cite this as well, Tor's ability to shield users from government spying may be nothing more than hot air. There's no evidence of a backdoor. However, documents obtained by Levine note that Tor has no qualms with privately tipping off the federal government to security vulnerabilities before alerting the public, a move that would give the feds an opportunity to exploit the security weaknesses before informing Tor users. Anywho, I think we can all presume safely that the government knows what's going on with Tor. Perhaps they're just biding their time. Perhaps they're using it to track terrorist activities. Perhaps they're using it for something else. I don't know. What I do know is that the U.S. government has funded this through these three different agencies. And thus, I would not be touring too often if I was you. And in a near-perfect segue, let's go from touring to whoring. Because that's what people are using the dark web for half the time anyway, right? Getting their whores, getting their prostitutes lined up. So... The House just passed the online sex trafficking bill. Uh, it's got some other fancy name. Hold on. I'll tell it to you in just a minute. But it's got a, a, a bill which goes by some other fancy name. And this bill, essentially what it does is it finds websites to be culpable or, uh, or it can find them to be guilty of hosting sex content that would lead to sex trafficking. So, for example, if you're a Backpages.com, and somebody goes and gets sex trafficked or, or they post sex advertisements on there for somebody who was sex trafficked and they post them on your website and you run them on there, right? You get advertising dollars for running that content or maybe even, actually, I don't even think you need advertising dollars. Just be a free posting. But this bill now holds you culpable for the damages. So the you know Susie Y, who was sex trafficked, if you had an ad on your website, she got 
banged by some dude through that ad, she can now sue you for facilitating her molestation or her rape via the sex trafficking or whatever the setup might be. There are a lot of dangers and issues with that. Number one, I, as a whole, object this. It goes against a previous act that was in place, which was the uh, Online Decency Act, I believe, which had some protections in place for website operators, essentially saying, hey, you can't just say because somebody posts this one thing on there that you can now sue the website for what happens from that link, which I agree with. That's freedom of speech, number one. That, and number two, if you're a website owner-operator, you're going to go out of business trying to find enough moderators to, to monitor every single post on every single web page that happens coming through. I mean, like a Craigslist, they've got thousands of postings happening every, probably every minute of every day. So to go through to have it all the processing and flag all these things and investigate and see what they're going, ridiculous to ask. And also, why are they responsible for the content of the people they're posting on their website? Why are they responsible for the actions of the people posting on their website? Because that's where the freedom of speech argument comes in. You say, okay, what if somebody's just posting this content and you can say, all right, well, that's a sex ad. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's subjective. But if nothing happens from it, somebody clicks on it, it doesn't go anywhere. They're just posting shit to post shit. Well, then nothing happens. If they click through it and it goes and they have sex with this woman, why is the website owner responsible for what happens from that? That's like saying, okay, well, somebody put an advertisement for a gun on a website. You click on the advertisement for the gun and then you bought the gun, and then you shot the guy selling it. Okay, now it's murder. Well, let's go after the website owner. He had this advertisement on his website, and somebody bought a gun off it, and then he killed a guy. Now you're responsible. It's idiotic. Completely idiotic. Not only that, but sex traffic has become vastly safer for people who are in that industry who should be rightfully legally doing it legal or legally doing it legally legally doing it because it's their bodies and what they do with a private transaction between two people is their own goddamn business and if you allowed it to be legal and you allowed it to be out in the open you wouldn't have sex trafficking because you'd have such an ample and available marketplace for it that was out in the open that you wouldn't have a black market that people would have to turn to unless it was something like pedophilia, which is already illegal, and we already have task forces that we already have laws for. So this just seems redundant, if nothing else, but specifically, it's going to fuck people over that are in the sex trafficking world, or sex trafficking world, pardon me, in the sex working world, who find it vastly safer to post online via these portals where they can have screening processes set up. And that's the way these things work. You post an ad, they call the number, they verify you, they go through some sort of three-step process, I'm sure, or they meet you in person. Uh, whatever their screening process may be, they can make sure you're not just some random psychopath. And isn't that better than walking the streets in the middle of the night where anybody can just come out of the blue, whether or not they want to have sex with you and just come up, take you in the car and then murder you. It certainly seems like it, but People get so wrapped up in the morality of it. Oh, we have to we have to stop this sex traffic. We have to save the children. Great. You're going to save the children by enacting a bill that's going to make it more dangerous for sex workers. And you know how much sex trafficking is going to stop? None. Absolutely none. Because before it was on Craigslist, before it was on back pages, I remember this from back in the day. They had like it was like an RSS feed or something. I remember kids in the dorm room, and this is like 15 years ago now, but kids in the dorm room would have feeds 
God damn, I can't remember what it was called. Techies, rack your brains and message me if you hear this and let me know. And maybe I'll, I'll add a little note in my, uh, my show notes there. But there's this thing you could sign up for. It was basically like an RSS feed of links, though. And that's where people would get porno. But you could also sign up for darker, darker things like pedophiles, like weird uh, scat death porn, like all that kind of shit. Whatever you wanted was available to find. And to say that by getting rid of what is primarily a legitimate operation, a legitimate business, that that's going to somehow save people that want to have sex with you know, children that are sex trafficked, which is illegal, they're underage anyway, it's a very specific ask, or that are that we're gonna curtail women from being brought in from abroad and put into Thai sex shops or whatever else. No. And in fact, I would argue if you're law enforcement, why don't you go click through and uh, and you can check on these places yourself? How about that? How about to your job? You're supposed to be doing that anyway, aren't you? As much as I disagree with it completely. Aren't you supposed to be uh, checking to make sure these aren't brothels, all these massage parlors that list themselves? It's just a stupid, stupid act. I hope it doesn't actually get passed through the Senate. As of right now, it's in the House. Free the sex workers, people. Legalize that shit. All right, that's going to happen for me. I'm exhausted. I have to go and lie down. So I want to remind you guys, please do tune in to Mark Claire on Mondays. They're flat. Our flagship show, our flagship show, he hosts the leaders of the libertarian movement. He had Gene Epstein on recently. That was great. And also John Odie Odermatt on Felony Fridays, looking at the injustices in the criminal justice system. Also, follow us on Facebook, Lions of Liberty. Join our forum. You can interact with us and the rest of the fun gang. It is considered the best forum for libertarians. My God, respectful intellectual conversation with fellow libertarians who thought who thought this eden still existed but we found it and guys i promise you, you get to keep all your ribs all the libertarian ladies are very respectful they will not take any of your ribs to make more women <laughs> as much as we might need them in the movement so come on that just type in lions of liberty forum say where you heard about it you can say you heard it from me you can say you heard it from, from uh, tom woods you can say you heard about it from jason stapleton who's living in LA now and we're probably going to kind of see soon. Whatever. Just as long as you don't look too crazy. As long as you don't look like Francis McDormand, I'll let you let you in. And uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Support the show, lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. That's it. That'll do it. So for me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty, I want to remind you guys to always stay plugged in to liberty. <laughs>